Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm Johnny McFarlane and today I'm joined once again by the Sunday Mail Scott McDermott. On the pod today, we look back at a disappointing Old Firm defeat for Rangers and ask where they can claw back ground in this fixture. We talk Europa League ticket prices and ask if fans get value for money at the football. And we look at new signing Gareth McCauley as the Northern Ireland International signs on for the season. Scott, where else to start but the Old Firm game? Uh, Overall, what was your your take on the proceedings? Uh, Well... Stephen Gerrard told us uh, the build-up to the game, Johnny. That I don't know why it sticks in my mind, but when, when we were trying to get no, I can line out of him in terms of what he expected for the game, what he expected for his team. I mean, it just it sticks in my mind that he said no, he wanted to to go there. He wanted his team to go there and put on a performance that would make the fans proud. No, and no, I'm not sure if they if they did that. Uh, and I think there's no there's different there's different reasons for it, but I think I'd be lying if I said uh, if I didn't say most of the Rangers fans coming away for that game, no, either having been there or watched it on the TV, would have been pretty disappointed with, with how it how it went. In terms of the approach that the manager took, no, the tactics that it that it set out for the for the game. I think a lot of Rangers fans just expected a bit more. Um, no, we've had a no, we've had a few days to reflect on it. You can look back on it, look at the kind of different aspects in terms of the build up. You no, know, the European game on the Thursday night, Celtic's kind of circumstances in the in the build up to the game. Just to touch um, on that, Scott, because that's an interesting point. I wouldn't mind drilling into that a little bit more. Yeah. Obviously, it's an eight thousand mile round trip. It was in a yeah. pretty remote part of Russia, an unusual, it's not Moscow, you know, it's it's out in the middle of nowhere, they only got back, I think, early Friday morning, or certainly near near the, near the that that point, maybe yeah, only. What, what, it was 1am on Friday. Aye, so, so just over 40 hours to prepare for the biggest game under Steven Gerrard, and having spent some time talking to sports scientists over the last year uh, at the SFA, I would suggest to you that probably their advice would have been that you have to watch with these guys having gone through not only that journey, which is very, very difficult for for footballers, but also the fact that it's a nine-man backs-to-the-wall performance where the exertion would have been extreme on the yeah. guys that, that, that had to play right through to the end of that 90 minutes. Guys like Ovi Ajaria, who actually didn't have a particularly good game and looked no. a bit like he was suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listen. The, the traditionalists would uh, no wouldn't want to hear that, Johnny. For you, they would probably just say, "Listen, it's an old firm game. Hmm. Stop talking nonsense. Adrenaline should get you through it. There's no other way to approach an old firm game than to go no hell for leather, a hundred percent." 
but when you look at the way Rangers lined up, the way Gerard put that team out, I think it was fairly obvious that the the ploy was to was obviously to sit in, defend deep, uh, get men behind the ball, invite Celtic onto them, try and not no uh, use up a lot of energy pressing high up the pitch, chasing Celtic all over the place. That seemed fairly obvious. Now that that would have been difficult for Rangers fans to watch because unusual as well, Scott. Unusual because yeah, they yeah that's been... what I was going to say. Since yeah. Gerrard's came in. There has been a an element of uh, an element of kind of high press. Certainly in every game, there's been some level of of pressing. The Rangers have kind of after the opposition, even away from home in Europe. I mean, granted they've defended deep, but when you watch the the Europa League away games, Rangers no actually got a lot of chances on the break. I mean, even with nine men against Dufa. There were, there were chances to score on the break when they managed to close close players down, regain possession, and then and then go on the counter attack. But there wasn't a lot of that uh, on Sunday, and I think that'll have been that'll have been a big disappointment. As I say, the fitness issue traditionalists won't want to hear it, but I tend to agree with you. No, after that journey, after everything that these Rangers players have put in in the past. No, six or seven weeks going right back to the pre-season in Spain through the whole Europa League qualification. It did look as if that kind of workload had finally taken its toll. I mean, Gerard could have sent them out to go for Celtic's throats or, or press high, but he's obviously felt that you no know, sitting deep was the was the right approach. And I suppose he'll look back and think, listen, it was one 0 we had chances in the second half. Taverni and Morelos, I think, had terrific chances to go and to go and make it one-one. Uh, despite how how poorly Rangers had played, and when I say how poorly they played, I mean in terms of when they did regain possession. Uh, no, throw tactics out the window. You, when you get no, when you get possession of the ball, you need to, you need to use it well. And Rangers didn't do that. Uh, do that well enough. I thought the first pass after regaining possession was nowhere near good enough. They couldn't get any rhythm, um, couldn't get into any sort of flow. And it, it seemed for long spells, especially in the first half, it was just kind of Celtic attack after attack. Um, That's so- spot on, Scott. I saw, I, I watched the game a second time last night and yeah. the structure of Rangers was very impressive. They were very drilled. And yeah. Celtic chances weren't really from carving them open. There was long-range shots. There was headers in and around the box. Yeah, but Traditionally, if you look at statistics, uh, most goals are not scored via headers. You know, it's difficult yeah. to actually score statistically from a header. So the Rangers probably look at that and say, "Well, you know, we were very we were very robust defensively." It was when they gained the ball back, they, yeah, they just often gave it away straight away. Yeah. I think Ryan Kent was guilty of that. The two players for me that were most guilty, and despite the fact Lafferty worked his backside off, was Lafferty and Morelos up front. The ball just did not stick up there. No. And that was a massive factor because every time Rangers did get the opportunity to get that ball forward quickly, it was coming straight back. I also think, I mean, I was slightly disappointed. Ajaya, I thought, was was pretty anonymous for the game. And listen, we've praised him because the last few weeks, the last few games, I think he's been excellent. He's, he's come into his own. He's kind of grown as a Rangers player. The game passed him by on Sunday, I think. And, and I think he was, I, I think he was even at fault to a certain extent, for the goal in terms of he's, he's tracking back. However, the two guys who I was disappointed in, and this isn't a slight on because 
we've discussed it before, and we agree the two of them are excellent players are, are Ryan Jack and Scott Arfield. And I'm not saying they they particularly bad games. I just think that in order for Rangers to get what Gerard wanted them to get, and that was to go there and put a performance where they competed and they had some level of control in the game. They they proved that no proving that they that they kind of moved on for these previous regimes that were going to Celtic Park and getting hammered. They needed two central midfielders to get a hold of the ball, keep it, use it well, take the pressure off, get Rangers up the park. Now I know that's a big onus on on players, especially when you're in against that you no know, really talented and settled, experienced uh, Celtic midfield. But I just thought Jack and Arfield, no, Ryan Jack, I've seen Ryan Jack dictating big games for Aberdeen. I've seen him doing it a few times for Rangers. Scott Arfield came for the Premier League. Big reputation. I just thought the two of them could have got a hold of the ball a bit more. As we say, that, that first pass after re, uh, regaining possession, to me, just wasn't, wasn't good enough. I thought the two of them no, worked their socks off, but it was mostly chasing chasing shadows, chasing Celtic. There was just a... No, it was almost like they started the game on the back foot and it was going to be about trying to you know, uh, break up Celtic's play rather than actually make their own. And I think when Gerard looks back at it, that'll have been a, a disappointing aspect of it. Uh, no, you, you touched on it, they just didn't do enough when they when they got the ball back, and against a team like Celtic away from home, you're always going to suffer for that. Was part of it in terms of the the Jack and Arfield having issues in central midfield? Rangers tended to go long quite a lot of the time, so yeah. that's partially the reason why Morelos and Lafferty are, are probably struggling to hold it up because they're getting difficult balls in. The Celtic defence were pushed right up on top of them. They were they were they were right at it in terms of their pressing. By the yeah. way. Celtic were really on the ball on that. That's what I was going to say, and that's where, whether you like it or not, Brendan Rodgers deserves great credit, because that Celtic team, for everything they've been through, albeit in a short space of time, two or three weeks of a bit of turmoil in terms of players leaving, players unhappy, being knocked out of the Champions League, there was a bit of negativity around, around Celtic before the game. But what you can't label against them is the the work the work rate that Rogers had for that for that starting eleven. I mean, they're they're pressing in terms of their intensity and really been, you know, really been in Rangers' faces was what I think most Rangers fans expected for their team going to Celtic Park. And as much as I'm being you no know, slightly critical of Rangers, particularly midfield for no holding onto the ball. You're right, part of the reason for that was they just didn't get a minute's peace. I mean, they, they just couldn't get any sort of control. They couldn't put their foot on it because before they knew it, they had two Celtic players uh, nipping at their ankles. And in terms of going long, I agree with you, but I think the problem with that is, and I think you're going to get it, is when you play Lafferty, particularly uh, in the wide left row. I think Stephen Gerrard has used Lafferty there. He's not experimenting, but I definitely think there was an element of trying to target Lustig and they thought no, Lustig's been off form for a while at Celtic. They, I think they maybe thought he was he would have been a weak link for them and they've went with the, the Lafferty option thinking no, that physical presence that kind of running power might, might trouble Lustig. Hindsight's a wonderful thing but I just don't think it worked. I think 
the fact that Lafferty was there made it easy for Rangers centre backs and central midfielders to try and hit him and try and try and go along at every opportunity. And I think to be honest, Lustig to me would much rather have that physical joust against Lafferty than he would have done if you'd have put a, a Ryan Kent or a or a Candias up against them and just you no know, guys that would just get the ball and try and run past them and use that use their pace. I think you would have I think you would have encountered more problems that way than, than getting into a physical battle with Lafferty. Just on Ryan Kent, the manager was talking about uh, him a couple of weeks back and saying that he feels that he does good things, but maybe after he, he takes a good touch, it just maybe the second touch doesn't quite come off for him. And watching the game yeah. back, that was really apparent. He would show terrific feet and get past one man and then give the ball away. Or he would go past one man and then run the ball out of play in the second phase, which was a little bit more obvious. Yeah, Is, is, is it a case that Rangers fans are going to have to be a lot more patient with Ajaria and Kent? This is a symptom of where Rangers are as a club in that they are having to take these talented boys and develop them for another club. Um, yeah, it's a, it's I think so. I think so. I think Ajaria, I think Ajaria is slightly different in that he's younger than Kent. I think I'm right in saying he's a couple of years younger than him. So I think you do have to be a bit more patient with him. Uh, with, with him. I think Ajaria, to me, has a real technical ability. I think there's... No, there's something special in him when he's when he's on his game. I think he's a real a real talent. He proved that with the goal against Dufa. I mean, a real moment of moment of brilliance, moment of quality uh, that Rangers of Rangers have needed. Certainly needed it uh, that night, given given what was going to happen after that with the with the red cards. Um, so I do think you need to be patient with him. I just don't think that game suited him on Sunday. The the, the pace of it. Um, it seemed to pass him by, like uh, the previous week when I when I watched him. He actually got better in the game when he dropped deeper. I think long term, you no. Know, although Gerard has spoke about Ajaria being the guy to unlock doors, I actually look at him and think uh, that long term his position might be just as that kind of playmaker quarterback sitting in front of the. The back four controlling the the tempo of games. I don't think to me he doesn't look like a number ten that's going to uh, that's going to play with slide rail passes and uh, you no know, down the side of, of defenders. But that's just my opinion. In, in terms of Kent, I agree with you. you no know, Rangers fans need to realise the level they're at. Ryan Kent's probably got to realise that the level he's at. The reason he's not playing the Premier League and he's not cracked at Liverpool is because just as you say, there's 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 something missing there. He's got great attributes. He's searing pace being the main one that he's that he has used to good effect at times. I think he's got great feet. He's decent one on one. Maybe doesn't get the byline quite as much as you would as you would like. But there's definitely ability there. But there's there's something lacking. That that's why he's been loaned out a few times. Why he went to Bristol City and kind of struggled to to make a name for himself. It's why. Quite clearly, he's not going to make the the Liverpool first team. But you know, that that's the guys that Rangers. That's probably the market Rangers are in. And you know, Gerard will want to nurture him. He's seen him at close quarters, obviously at Anfield. He feels there's something there, and he'll feel as a manager he can he can bring it out of. Yeah, um, is that part of the problem with Rangers in the final thirds? You've got Ajaria wasn't really firing. Kent was up and down within the game. Lafferty felt like he was moved out of position. Morelos didn't have a good game at all. So Rangers were effectively a little toothless up there. 
Yeah. And, you know, Jamie Murphy, big name players, obviously out with injury. You can always rely on him to, to do something in a big game. So a lot of pressure on this new signing, uh, Eros Gresda, to come in and actually make an impact because Rangers are looking a little thin up there. I was going to say, I think it will be a slight worry for Gerard, just kind of where the goals are coming from and trying to spread the goals about. I mean, I th- and I think that's why he probably, or one of the reasons why he went with Lafferty on Sunday for his for his goal threat. He's obviously got a good record against against Celtic and he scored goals for Rangers in the past. But if he hadn't have played Lafferty on Sunday and he went with Candias, for instance, you're then looking at. No, take Morelos out of the equation. Kent hasn't scored for Rangers yet. Candias is far from prolific. Ejari, I think, has only had one goal. Obviously, the two sitting midfielders, no, you're, you're not relying on a score goals. You're then going back to, like, you're hoping that a, no, a Tavernier pops up with a free kick or a, no, a run from deep or maybe a Goldson, Goldson or Katic header for a corner. So, I think it will be a slight a slight worry for Jared. I think he needs to get goals into that team somehow. Um, he probably believes that Kent is capable of it, but he's had a few good chances in the Rangers shirt already, um, especially these counter-attacks that I'm talking about. And he's, uh, he, I mean, he's really unlucky in, in Russia. The keeper brought off a, an incredible save, um, one of the chances he had. So... But you're right, Gresda's going to come in. I must admit, I haven't seen a lot of him. I've no read stuff about him. Looks to be a talented player. I'm not sure about his his goal record. Whether he's going to he's going to provide that, but certainly middle to front, Gerard will want more. I think we all accept that. You no, know, first park aside, the defence pretty much looks sorted. He's added Gareth McCauley and Joe Warrow to it since the last time we spoke. So. I mean, there's real strength and depth. Well, yeah. that's that, that's a that's a great segue, Scott, because we have a question um, from uh, at Chris McLaughlin um, regarding the centre halves. Do yeah. we feel essentially that um, that means Rangers are going to revert back to this back three that we saw sort of stutter against Motherwell? Yeah, I think there's a good chance. Um, because after they got Joe Warrow, I was surprised that they then went and got another another centre back McCauley. I thought once they got cover for Goldson and Katic that that Gerald would be quite happy with that and and would would go with it. The fact he's got another one means they've got four, no really good centre backs. Obviously, different ages, different levels, different styles, but. No, for every club would love four centre-backs that Rangers have got just now. The two that are in possession of the jersey have obviously done great, but I know Gareth McCauley's coming towards the end of his career, but he'll still feel as if he can come to Rangers and go in and influence that dressing room, influence the team on the pitch, so he'll want to play. He's come out of the, of the Premier League <clears throat> where he played a few games last season. And even Joe Warrow, as much as he no, fell down the pecking order at Nottingham Forest under Aitor Karanka. No, that's a young guy who's played for England at youth level, really highly rated, coming through the coming through the ranks. So he'll want to come in and make a make an impression as well. Um, obviously the back three, it, no, it didn't work against Motherwell. There's no no denying that. Maybe there was some teething problems. We don't know how much Steven Gerrard has worked on a back three um, at training. This, this could have been wrong behind the scenes. 
where Rangers are all set to to suddenly switch to a back three and, and go with it. Certainly speaking to my colleague uh, Gavin Berry when he was over in Spain for the pre-season, whatever he witnessed over there, he came back feeling that Rangers would go with a, a back three this season. It's obviously it's a system, the formation that's come back into a bit of, a bit of fashion recently. So no, I think I think your man might be right. Uh, no, having four really good centre-backs there would certainly lend itself to going, going three at the back. In terms of going forward, Scott, in this fixture, for me, Rangers need to think about matching Celtic up. Now, for me, Celtic essentially play a 3-6-1. I've been banging on about this on Twitter because yeah, Kieran Tierney is yeah. not playing like a left-back. He effectively plays as a wing-back, and then on the right, James Forrest effectively plays like a, a, a wing-back. Yeah. Now, they're very fluid, and they move in and out. Where I think Rangers always have a problem against Celtic is in Cham and Brown sit in front of the defence and dictate play. And then just in front of them, you have McGregor and Rogic who drift wide, but also drift back inside. And watching the game again, as I say yesterday, I felt often, so often, they were in the central positions. And it meant that those two central midfielders that were struggling for Rangers, Arfield and, um, and Jack, were often up against four men. Yeah. And those four men were often in advanced positions, especially Rogic and McGregor, in between the lines. So causing them so many problems. So for me, I'd like to see Rangers match up man for man in the same formation because they've got the players to do that. You can have Barisic yeah. on the left, you can have Tavernier on the right, three centre-halves, and then you can chuck in four players. Now, if you've got a, um, a Scotty Arfield on the left, perhaps, and on the right you've got Graham Dorans, I think they could quite easily or certainly better than they have been doing in, in recent Old Firm games, help neutralise the threat of Rodrick and McGregor? Because for me, yeah. that's where Celtic are winning the game. Yeah. I wouldn't disagree with you. Um, all I'd say is, that, no, the kind of flip side to that is, rather than match up, if that's the way Celtic are going, to me, that tells you that, that they can be, there are areas in the park where they can be exploited. And, no... That to me would be would be in the wide areas. If you no, know, if you're right in what you're saying, and I, as I say, I tend to agree with you that you no know, Tierney and Forrest do bomb on. You no know, Lustig kind of drops in to be part of that kind of back three. Then the areas where Rangers can exploit are surely down the sides of Lustig and the the left centre back. Now I don't know whether that means Rangers go with a system at Ibrooks, for instance, where. No, a bit like a bit like Mark Warburton's system actually going back where the two wide players stay so high up the pitch. And it to be honest, the first few games the first few games that Gerard had here, uh, with that four three three, the 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 two wide players did stay up the pitch. I remember the first couple of games, I think it was like Windass and Murphy, and he was urging them to stay stay high all the time now. That's obviously risky against the, the better team, Celtic being one of them. But I think you're right, getting into the game at Ibrox, I know it's a while away, but they, they need to, or Gerard will need to decide, do a match-up with Celtic and try and go man for man, and it then comes down to individual battles. No Players have to win their battle against whatever guy they're up against in, in, no, in order to go and win the game. Or do you look at Celtic's system, if you decide they're going to play the same way, at Ibrooks, as you have described, by trying to gain control in the middle of the park with that kind of blocker, block of four, then I would suggest that there, there has to be areas, you no, know, out wide that, that that can be exploited. It's just whether Rangers have the players 
that are good enough to do that and whether Gerard wants to wants to take that risk at home in the, the second old firm game of the season. We've got a question from at Barton Peel Scott. He says Gerard seems to have an eye for a player and contract and contacts, but does he have tactical nous? The first thing I'd say is players are everything, Johnny. I mean, I know we like banging on about tactics and no, it's it's obviously people talk about tactics far more now in terms of their analysis of the game. But I mean ultimately I think a lot of it is down to players. So if he's got a good eye for a player, that no, that'll be half the battle for Steven Gerrard if he's went and signed you no know, proper good players like the defenders that we've spoken about. Uh, all seem to be good signings. Even the two new ones um, would appear, you no, know, to be to be really strong signings, and they'll add something to that squad. Has he got the tactical now? It's a bit early to, to say, but listen, he's come through. Whatever you might think of the standard of opposition, he's come through four European ties. You no know, home and away legs had to suffer. You no know, red cards, different kind of setbacks. Even in the league games, he's obviously lost uh, lost many red cards, and Rangers have had to adjust. So, I mean, I don't think he's I don't think he's lacking, particularly in tactical now. And what I would say is, you no know, speaking to people behind the scenes, you no, know, the guy Michael Beale that is in there with Gerard is so highly rated in terms of in terms of his tactical now that he'll be a he'll be a big a big help to him uh, along with. Uh, along with the guy Tom Culshaw and obviously Gary McAllister, but Bill, from what I've heard, is the one who takes most of the training, does most of the kind of tactical, the tactical work on the training pitch. So no, I don't, I, think, I don't think he lacks tactical now. But obviously, times, times going to tell. If he goes into another old firm game, or we see him you know, going away to Villarreal in the first European, uh, the first Europa League game, and you know, and Rangers are, are found wanting, then of course you, you're going to ask you're going to ask questions. But I think it's a bit early for that. And uh, as a, in a sort of change from what you would normally expect, where it's often the manager and the assistant on the bench talking to each other, yeah. always or almost always when the camera pans to Gerard, it's Michael Beale sitting next to him yeah. talking to him. So yeah, I think, so I in, think... In, in that regard, Michael Beale is a far more important figure behind the scenes than a sort of head coach normally is. Yeah. I think so. I mean, we've spoken about it before, and it's it's by no means a slight against Gary McAllister. He he's there as his number two and his bona fide assistant. But Gary McAllister, no, I think would admit himself that he's no he's not coached at the no, at the highest level. He was a top level top level player, and he's been at big clubs. But no, in terms of his coaching career. He's no, he's no done it at the top level, and I think Gary McAllister's in there to be that buffer between the manager and the players. You know, we all know how good a guy he is. I think he's the type of guy if players have got any problems or they want to speak to, you know, somebody, uh, you know, a kind of middleman between them and the manager, then Gary McAllister would be a, a good guy to go to and good for the for the dressing room. But in terms of the, the nuts and bolts, of the tactics and the systems that Rangers will use, I don't think there's any doubt at all that. That Bill is the guy, and he he'll be the guy that Gerard will lean on most when it comes to tactics and systems and informations getting into these getting into these big games. Um, and just just come back to the the Celtic game. I mean, in terms of the the kind of aftermath, we, we're both uh, we're both saying quite rightly, no Celtic deserved to win. The Rangers were a bit no, were a bit disappointing. But I've heard stuff. 
after the game, no, particularly from kind of you know, Celtic fans online and stuff. And I think whereas you no know, Rangers fans were getting maybe getting a bit carried away going into the game, you no, know, in terms of where they were and how good how good Rangers were. But the same token, I think after the game, there's been a wee bit of kind of exaggeration in terms of where Celtic are just now and how far how far ahead they are. I mean, look, if you, you know, in the cold light of day, Celtic have still come out of the January, eh, still come out of the transfer window, summer transfer window, having lost their best player, certainly their best striker in Dembele. Um, Boyata, you would imagine, still doesn't really want to be there, given given what was said said before and pulling out of the pulling out of the uh, AEK Athens game. And in terms of guys coming in, we've signed Yusuf Malumbu and Philip Benkovic, I don't doubt they're good players, but they, they're not the, the the standard or the level of signings that Celtic fans would have been would have been expecting in this in this window. Um and I've heard you know, a lot of people say, well, no, it was a four five nil it could have been an R five nil humiliation for Rangers. But the point is, it, it wasn't, and the reason it wasn't a 5-0 humiliation was because Rangers have improved as a team. They've got a better goalkeeper in Al McGregor. That's what he's there for, to make to make the kind of saves he made on Sunday. You know, the Rangers have got a better defence than they did last season. That's why you know, they were, as you mentioned earlier, as much as Celtic had a lot of chances, a lot of it was from set plays and, and headers, stuff in the box. So... I don't think Rangers fans should get too disheartened just yet. Of course, they'll be disappointed with the performance and the result on Sunday. But no, I think the main thing for Rangers is that they, they get back for the international break. I think they've got four games, four out of five league games at Ibrox coming up. If you take maximum points, build the momentum again, um, try and perform well in the Europa League, I think come the next old Firm game in late December, Rangers will be in a far better place with these new new signings having settled in. Uh, Kula Bali back for injury, Graham Doran's back for injury. I still think there's uh, I still think there's hope for hope for optimism there in terms of in terms of Rangers. Certainly, uh, Dundee at home, Saints St Johnson at home, Hearts at home, Hamilton away, uh, Livingston away. The next five yeah. games. Uh, yeah. So they're all eminently winnable. I mean, Hearts will be a tough tie given the way they're playing. And then yeah. that leads you through to Hibs away on the 27th of October, which is the first game that you would think, well, that'll be a real tough tie. But yeah. Rangers have got... Also, they've also got air. They've got Air United at home, in the cup, which gets them into a... No, no disrespect to Air. If Rangers can get, if Rangers can get past them at Ibrox, no, they'll be in a, they've got a semi-final at Hamden to look forward to, which is just... Stephen Gerrard actually mentioned it out of nowhere last week. When we were speaking to him, no, but obviously it was all about the old firm game. But for nowhere, he said, "Listen, it's all about small, small targets, immediate targets." No, getting to the Europa League group stage was a was obviously a big target, and they've managed to achieve that. Obviously, they've not started as well as they'd have liked in the league, but no, we all know there's been uh, kind of circumstances that, that that have dictated a bit of that. But he then mentioned, he says, "We've got a, we want to win a cup and." No, we've got a quarter final coming up at home. We're one game away from a semi final at Hamden. So it's just about you no know, ticking these boxes in terms of Rangers trying to get back to, to where they are. And as you say, they've got a few home games coming up. No, none of them will be easy. But if they can go and 
no, go on a wee run, as I say, build a wee bit of momentum again and make sure that hasn't been lost by the by the defeat at Celtic, then no, they can they can start climbing the table and, and looking forward to the next one. Now I've deliberately not mentioned the refereeing performance, Scott, but it'd be remiss of us not to talk about it at some point, given that yeah. it seems to be the, the the driving issue for a lot of people in terms of the, the game itself. The incident with Alan McGregor, primarily, I think it's important that we explain exactly what's happened there. Obviously, yeah. there can be you're, no doubt. Well, there can be no doubt in that there was a kick out. <laughs> Absolutely no doubt about it. But there has been a rule change, and violent conduct has to be uh, characterised as brutality or excessive force. The reason yeah. for this is because uh, FIFA uh, and collaboration with IFAB, who create the rules of the game, uh, discussed with a group of elite-level former players ways to make the game's rules better. And they said there's too many petty, silly red cards in games. So they went yeah. back and looked at the rules, and this recharacterization of violent conduct is part of that. So yeah. this kind of incident where it's a flick of the leg, there's no almost no chance of injury, you know, you're much more likely to get hurt in a tackle than you would be by at the flick of a leg, would be characterized as, you know, petulant rather than, yeah. than violent, and therefore would be a yellow card. And to me, as I've been saying on Twitter, to much abuse may I add, Scott, I think <laughs> that that's a good thing for the game. It means that we're going to have less incidents like you had with Alfredo Morelos 10 minutes into a game that was completely ruined by his absence. Yep. Yep. Um, and and that, that, that can only be a good thing, but what we need is our fellow pundits in this media game in Scotland to recognise there has been a change and understand why, so fans can understand why. And I think there's been a general yeah. lack of understanding and acceptance of what's happened because people go, well, you know, three years ago, a, a flick of the boot was a red card. Yes, it was, but they've made a change to try and better the game. Now, I know it opens up a can of worms, but listen, there's always going to be subjectivity in, in football rules. There's no yeah. hard and fast example of each given thing that can happen on the pitch. Um, yeah, think, but they I have been, just, just one more thing, Scott, they, they have yeah. been consistent. Morelos, yeah. Smith, and now McGregor, all instances are almost exactly the same and all almost exactly the same result. Yeah. No, I think that has been a problem is that too few people have been aware of this of this rule change, obviously. And listen, it's like all rule changes with football fans. It does take a while for people. It probably takes examples or numerous examples like this to actually get it into people's get it into people's minds and understand you know, the next time it happens. I mean, what, what I would say is, the, and I've heard loads of different arguments, you, know, you have to accept that you know, that term excessive force, I suppose you know, you could, the flip side is, if you're not supposed to kick somebody off the ball in a game of football, which obviously you're not. I suppose then any kick could be deemed as excessive force. So it is difficult. I mean, there is a grey... Right, let me come back on that. Yeah, yeah, on you go. So if you say that, then you could say that if you point your finger and jab it into someone's chest, that yeah. is excessive force because yeah. you didn't need to point your finger and jab it. Yeah, you know, exactly. it, it could get silly. So that's yeah, where I no. think that argument falls down. There has to be an acceptance yeah. that occasionally on a football pitch where passions are high, there are non-dangerous acts of petulance that, that don't necessarily need to be deemed dangerous and then seem to be a red card. Now, So ultimately it comes down to the referee and you're going to have 
unfortunately, you know, one referee's excessive force is going to be different to another referee's, and that's where the problems are going to lie. That's where you're going to get fans moaning and complaining and you know, debating about it for, for days after it. Um, but going back to what you said, or what you were saying originally, I, I, I do agree with it because I think in general, and it's been the case for, no, I think quite a few years now in football, there is too many silly red cards that could have been avoided, and a yellow card would have been would have been suffice. I mean, we we spoke about it the other day. The classic example being uh, David Beckham and, and Diego Simeone at the at the ninety eight World Cup. And looking back on that now, I mean that was a huge story at the time. No, it was people seeing it as a a certain red card. It was a disgrace. No, this this kicking out. You know what I mean? Looking back on it now, I mean, should that should that really have been a red card? Surely a yellow card for that? You no, know, petulant as you say that that petulant kick out. I think a yellow card would have been you no know, would would have sufficed in that in that instance. And you no know, history might have been different in terms of that game and and, and how England did in that in that World Cup. But I, I agree with the with the change. I think there is too many there is too many silly or needless red cards and. You're right, I mean, at least, I'm not saying the system's perfect, but at least in these instances that you speak about, so far the SFA have been have been pretty consistent. And for me, I, I like the SFA changes. Uh, it's no longer the compliance officer that's looking at the video footage and then making a decision. It's three former referees, and there yeah. has to be unanimity amongst the three. They're not in a room together either. It's done over yeah. Skype, so it's very modern, and each one is interviewed individually. And what there needs to be is unanimity that the three of them believe yeah. that there's, there's an issue. To me, that that's a much more modern and, and better way of looking at it than they had in previous seasons. And people kick the SFA all the time. But for me, and they have been over this issue, but for me, it absolutely makes sense. Um, I, I, suppose, I suppose if you're being, the only thing is, I suppose if you're being cynical and I'm here, we'll get an ex-referees in. No, if you get a run of incidents where... No, the, the decision has gone in the favour of the of the match official. You would start to worry, you know, are these ex are these ex referees just trying to protect you no know, their own profession, even if they are retired, you no, know, maybe protecting guys that they know from, from within the game, you no know, try to protect the ref space. I think if you're being cynical that there might be a there might be an issue with that. But I suppose the flip side is so who do who do you get? No, do you get ex players that are then going to air on the, the, the player side? Do you get no I don't know, do you get football pundits, football and no analysts to come in and do it? Who do you get to, to ultimately decide? I agree with you. I think the SFA in the last the last kind of three or four years it has moved on in terms of the disciplinary process compared to what it was you no know, ten, fifteen years ago, um when it was kinda of mired and uh you no know, different pro different processes and stuff like that. It has, it has definitely moved on. It's a lot quicker. Um but there's gonna be you no know, there, there's still gonna be grey areas and you no know, this is obviously especially in the back end old firm game, this was always gonna cause a bit of controversy. Okay, moving on from refs, because I don't want to spend too much time going over it, because everyone else has spent hours and hours of time delving into the minutiae of it. Um, but to move on to ticket prices, Rangers have announced their three-match package for the Europa League, which is going to be £105 for three games. Now, it did cause a bit of a stushy amongst some Rangers fans on social media when they noticed that Celtic were offering the same three-match package, obviously, at a different ground, uh, yeah. for £72. Yeah. Now, 
I suppose my question is, um, given Rangers' different circumstances to Celtic, you know, it's the first time back in Europe for a, a great number of years. There's going to be a great deal more excitement surrounding these events. Yeah. I would argue Rangers have far more glamorous ties, you know, Spartak Moscow. Okay, Rapid Vienna aren't necessarily a huge name, but Villarreal, big Spanish club. Yeah. You know, Celtic are against, you know, Salzburg, Rosenberg, who they've already played several times in there. Yeah. And Leipzig, who'll be obviously a decent a decent side, but I think Rangers have got the more glamorous group. So yeah. to me, hundred and five pounds seems there or thereabouts. I think ninety nine pounds would have been a, a smarter marketing move, um, just to make it a little bit um, cleaner. But um, I think, um, given the club have already moved as well with regards to when they are looking to get the money in from fans, yeah, I think first it was, it was it was a little consternation about the fact they wanted it so soon. So they've moved on that. But I think that's a reasonable pricing structure. I don't know what you think. I think it's. I pretty much agree with you. I think when I saw it at first, I thought it was slightly, no, it was slightly uh, more expensive than I, than I thought it would be. I mean, I don't think it's ex- excessive, but. Yeah, maybe slightly dearer, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. The, the, the difference is certainly between Rangers and Celtic. I mean, Celtic fans were expecting a Champions League group this season. That's what they've been used to for the past uh, for the past couple of seasons. So it's almost like you know they're getting into that Europa League group on a bit of a downer, as you say. They're playing. They're already playing a team that they've they've played uh, played four times the last uh, in the last year. So. I think the difference with Rangers is there's so much excitement about it. It's the first time, you know, in so many years they've been in the, the group stage of any European competition. You no, know, there is a couple of glamorous names in the in the group. So I think Rangers as a club have probably you no know, taken advantage of that slightly, taken advantage of the kind of Rangers fans' good nature, if you will, in terms of turning up for games and you no know, being uh no, in terms of these games being kind of hugely anticipated as the kind of rate another step in Rangers kind of getting back to where they they feel they belong. So the clubs may be taking advantage of that slightly, but I suppose after everything, no, after where the club's been, no, whether you like it or not, they probably see this as a no an opportunity in terms of revenue coming in, and maybe an opportunity that they didn't didn't think they were going to get because nobody. I didn't speak to anybody who thought when Rangers went into that first qualifying round that they were going to make it all eh, make it all the way into the group stages, especially with a new untried manager coming in. So, I, I'm sympathetic to fans, Scott, that um, find that quite a lot of money to come up with yeah, on, 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 on a short space of time. But at the same time, Rangers are not a club run by a, a group of fat cats who are going to be making large profits and, and no. skimming off the top um, with dividends. You know, this is a club that's going to make a loss this year. So the money that they are gaining is going directly into the football team. And that's the kind yeah. of investment that's allowed, you know, a significant, what is it, 15 new players now coming yeah. to the club over the summer. So I can, I, I, while I have sympathy, at the same time, the fans, I think, should come together to understand, in my view, and understand that people will have a different opinion, that this is money that's going directly back into the club to help fund what has been a significant spend over the last uh, few months. Yeah, I agree. And like like is always the case with these things, it's the, it's families you feel sorry for, you know, a dad taking, taking his two kids to the game and stuff. Of course, it's a hefty, it's a hefty price to pay, but I agree with you, it's... I don't think it's that excessive that they can 
no, you can have too many complaints, and I'm pretty sure come the first game, I think the first game's is it home to Spartak Moscow? The first game is that right? Uh, no, home, it's Villarreal. It's the first game, mate. Yeah, but the first home game. Oh, oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. I think you might be right. But I think I'm it might be rapid sure, Vienna actually. I'm pretty sure that first home game will be a will be a total sellout. Uh, but when it comes around and the excitement starts to build, <clears throat> certainly depending on how they got on the, the first game over in Spain, um, I'm pretty sure they'll they'll sell the place out as I'm sure they probably will do for the three the three group games. Okay, before we go, Scott, I just want to touch on Gareth McCauley, obviously, 38-year-old Northern Ireland international. What do you make of the signing? It's a one-year deal. Guy who can come in and offer a vast amount of experience at the very top level in terms of his career as uh, a centre-half in the Premier League. Yep. I mean, well, two things. I mean, experience is one, as you say, vast experience of Premier League and international Football, uh, especially the way Northern Ireland have, have been have been playing in the last the last few years, and he's been a. If you ask Michael O'Neill, I'm sure he'd say that McCauley's been an absolutely you know, vital uh, cog in that that machine in terms of getting him to the uh, Euro 2016, and then getting so close to to the World Cup, also losing the playoff. I mean, McCauley's been a huge player for them. That that Northern Ireland team, as we know, has been built on a. Know, a rock solid defence beside guys like Johnny Evans and, and others. So he brings all of that experience. Um I know it's a bit cliched, but the fact that he's a Rangers supporter or, or seems to have grown up as a Rangers supporter from Northern Ireland, I think that always helps having guys who have a genuine feeling for the club, they know what it's all about. Um and coming into that dressing room, no, he want he's only there for a year, he want to grab this chance. With both hands, as I say, probably thought you know, that the chance to go and play for the club he supported had gone. But you know, when you get into your, mid, your mid-30s, that, that's probably what's going through his mind. So he'll want to grab the chance, grab the opportunity, and he won't just want to get in there for 12 months and be a cheerleader in the dressing room and help young defenders. Of course, that'll be that'll be part of it. That'll be one of the reasons why Gerard has brought him in to add that. No, add that experience to the to the changing room. But he'll want to get in, he'll want to get in and play. He'll look at Rangers now as a team on the up again, being back in the Europa League. There's no doubt he will you know, look at Conor Goldson and you no know, Nico and think, you know what, I can I can force my way in there. I've been playing the Premier League for for the last uh, no so many years at a good level. So I think it's a good signing for I don't see any negatives to the signings, I say it'll be good for the dressing room, good experience, knows what the club's all about, and you know, most importantly, has proven in the last few years, particularly as I say, at a national level, has been a really good defender, probably been at his best, you know, when, it, when it is a backs against the wall job and you're under pressure, um, and Rangers are going to have games like that, whether it's in Europe, against Celtic, you know, your Aberdeen's hearts, people like that, they're going to need proper defenders in there, and I think that's think that's what Macaulay is. Okay, Scott, that's all from us. We're going to be back next midweek with more news and analysis of all things Rangers. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can by tweeting us at Record Sport or us individually or us individually at Johnny R. McFarlane and at Scott McDermott 8. Don't forget to subscribe at iTunes or Acast to get the podcast as soon as it becomes available. And if you liked it, please review and rate us on there too. Thanks for listening.